When we arrived back at school, a half hour before dismissal, I sat on my desk and pulled out the book Pippi Longstocking. Grins spread down the aisles. Kids elbowed their neighbors into silence until all thirty-eight of them were attentive, expectant. I began to read, but had only covered about two pages when an alarm blasted from my wastebasket. I jumped off the desk. The kids raced to the basket and retrieved a clock covered by a pink note. Happy Thursday, Miss Hobart. I'll think of you working tomorrow while I play. Mrs. Natera did it, the class cried in unison. I nodded. It was just the kind of delicious joke my good pal Maria, a sixth-grade teacher, would play. She's celebrating her birthday tomorrow, I said, and walked back to my desk, tapping the clock. I winked at my students. Shall we retaliate? Does that mean get her back? Ruth asked. Sure does, I said, grabbing markers and construction paper. I made a sign and held it up for the class to approve. Happy birthday, Maria. They clapped. Laura and Jeffrey ran to the parking lot and taped the sign to the front fender of her car. She'll never see it, Laura announced with a giggle. Everybody she passes will beep and call happy birthday, said Jeffrey. And he was right. As I drove off from school behind the birthday lady, people waved and called. Horns beeped. I smiled all the way to the optometrist's office. When I got there, I realized that I was nervous. The doctor didn't seem worried, though. You have an infection, Miss Hobart, he shook his finger. From now on, no cleaning those lenses in your mouth. I left his office with eye drops and a red face. How could I be so dumb? From then on, I would clean and soak the lenses in solution. Never again would a contact come near my lips. Two months later, I sat on the arm of a couch, looking on while my friend Ernie, a lieutenant heading for Vietnam, opened going-away presents. A tiny spider danced on the wrapping paper. I reached for the critter, but he hopped to my finger, to Ernie's face, to a nearby lamp. No, not a spider. It was that line again, invading my comfortable world. It can't be infected, I said. I've been so careful. Ernie laughed. What are you talking about, Sally? My face grew warm. I hadn't meant to speak out loud. Something's in my eye, I explained. A half dozen friends huddled around me to inspect it. There's nothing, Sally. I couldn't see anything then, either. The line had pulled another disappearing act. I shrugged and left for the kitchen to serve cake and ice cream. But when I awoke the next morning, snug on my left side, curled around a pillow, I opened my right eye and saw nothing. Nothing except a white mist, as if a cloud had dropped into the room. My heart shot to my throat. I jerked up. My left eye saw the couch, the TV, bookshelves. But when I closed it, a deep fog wrapped around me. And fear. I ran to the phone. Within an hour, I sat before a different doctor, an ophthalmologist. It's not an infection, Miss Hobart, Dr. Garrison said. You have a retinal hemorrhage. What's that? I asked, sensing something much more dangerous and rare than an infection. A few blood vessels in the retina have broken. There's a pool of blood in your right eye. That's why you can't see. He walked to his desk and reread the medical history form I'd filled out earlier. Blood.
I couldn't see any blood. What would cause it, anyway? You don't have diabetes? No, but my father does, I said and swallowed. My grandparents, too. He lowered my chart. I'd like to put you in the hospital for tests. I stared at the man who was just beginning a medical practice in this newly paneled and carpeted office. Hospital? I repeated. I'd been a patient in the hospital once, at the age of five, for a tonsillectomy. My parents, my sister Marty, and my brother Bobby had been with me. Now, at the age of twenty-four, I longed for their company, their security. But they were on the opposite side of the country, in Conningham, Pennsylvania, the town where I'd grown up. My hands tingled. I gripped the arm of the chair. When?